We are now live. Welcome back, everybody. So let's go ahead and do the intro. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Notes from the Alev. And Alev is a high point from which all things are visible. And from our vantage point, we'll be looking at tabletop role-playing games, their design, and the theory behind those designs. Around here, our motto is be fair, build up, and have fun. I'm your host, Griffin Bro, joined by our editor, Theta, our local designer, Norman Rafferty, and our good friend, the GM, Red Rabbit, and, of course, our wonderful guest star, Lesson Learned, here today. When it comes to tabletop games, I have 15 years of experience running, playing, and frequently fixing problematic rule sets at the table. Pronouns are he, him, they, them. Lessons go. Live streamer over at Twitch at live, uh, Lessons Learned number with one. Number one is important. Also, I'm over at YouTube. I talk about video games and play them. I talk about how the video games are written. I also written a short story collection over at Amazon, Night and Starts for 99 cents. You could pick it up and tell me how it is. It's my first book out, so, I you know crossing my fingers and also i have been uh now stepping into the design of role-playing games as well as being a gm and player for over 25 years all right red go okay i'm red rabbit um i'm gm for our wednesday iron claw second edition game with these fools and uh i also do professional gming you can find me at startplaying.games and uh, I consider myself to be a student of tabletop game design. Wonderful. And of course, last but not least, Norman. Go ahead and give yourself an intro. Hello, I'm Norman Rafferty. Uh, two movies we won't be talking about today are Beastmaster and Fire and Ice. Also, when oh. there's spare time, I work for Sanguine. <laughs> All right. So go ahead and talk on previous episode of podcast. We talked about uh, trained professional streamers of games and how they affect our perception and you know to pan out from that a little bit that's kind of true of pop culture as a whole right you know you watch something and it changes how you think about it what we see on the screen affects and forms perception uh so today we're going to actually be talking about a whole bunch of old classic movies maybe one or two new ones and just kind of talk about what's out there and what we think about them and maybe just make fun of them this is the movie episode everybody specifically movies that are related to tabletop gaming yes so I believe uh, the name of the episode is Shockma, Skullduggery, and Midnight Madness. And these ones are the ones you queued up, Rafferty. Why don't you go ahead and start us off with how wonderfully oh. awful these movies are? Well, the, the, those are awful ones I mentioned, but I realized I, after I made that list, I should have mentioned that the big one everyone probably thinks of is, is uh, Stranger Things. Because Stranger Things showed up, and uh, because it was 80s nostalgia, they uh, wrapped the first episode around the idea that the characters are playing games, and they've decided that the monster from the Upside Down was Demo Gargon. Instead of the monster from Abyss was Demo Gargon. I wonder, you know, hey, things that bug me. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that had a lot of 80s nostalgia, but that was driven a lot by the two major forces of 80s nostalgia, Stephen King and Steven Spielberg. And what not a lot of people remember is, do you guys remember a movie called E.T.? Yeah, no, maybe, maybe a little bit. I wonder, is is this like an old movie? <laughs> well, yeah, 1981, says yes. Gray Hairs. Uh, there's a rumor going around that Reese, that the Reese Company paid to have their candy put in the movie. Who knew? Say um, so. But um, E.T. was, uh, Steven Spielberg was very aggressively marketing to the, um, the suburban market. He had already made um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind which is about suburbanites menaced by UFOs. So here they are menaced by UFOs again, only it's a cute little puppet that shows up. But most significantly is when they uh, all the kids are home with the uh, elder teenager who's babysitting them, they're playing a game of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, 
E.T. was the top grossing movie of 1981 in the U.S. domestic market. For many years, it was on that position above Star Wars. Uh, it, it stayed there until deposed by Jurassic Park in 91. Uh, so for many years, that was many people's first or perhaps only exposure to the idea of people actually playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, the representation in the movie is pretty faithful. I don't know if you whippersnappers today have watched this movie. <laughs> I mean, probably they just handed some books and gave it to the kids to play there because they were just about the right age. Everybody there, by the age of nine to twelve, I think the older teenagers were fourteen, around the fourteen, fifteen. Some games have some terrible interpretations of it. I mean, sorry, some movies have some terrible interpretations of it because I'm not sure if any of you seen the flip side of this coin, also from 1980s. The debut of uh, Tom Hanks, Mazes and Monsters. So I have but not seen that one, heard about it. Have that seen E.T., though. Have that movie that is basically the crystallization of the demonization and one of the many moral panics of the 1980s. Rock and roll, rap music, Dungeons and Dragons, and then it carried over to 1990s with video games such as Doom and Mortal Kombat. And what's interesting about like the ET one is that it, it came out in the 1980s and has like this very positive and realistic portrayal of like how people are playing the game. But this is also the same time the uh, the whole satanic panic thing is going on. People are blaming D and D for like summoning demons because they're crazy. Well, Mazes and Monsters doesn't actually have any uh, of that. But also, this ties into to the schlocky movies we're going to talk about. And I have to mention some of these, or uh, at least one person I know who's watching the stream right now is going to lose it. Okay, so Mazes and Monsters is based off of a fiction novel, fiction novel by Rona uh, Jaffe, or Jaff, I don't know how it's pronounced, uh, which is based off of a yeah. real-world incident. Uh, one of our illustrators, Diana Harlan-Stein, who was illustrated for many of our books, including Iron Claw, um, actually knew uh, James Dallas Egbert III. Uh, he was playing D&D in 1970s at Michigan State University. And at the time, it was a popular thing to not just, you know, play Dungeons and Dragons, but to also go investigate the steam tunnels that were underneath the university, because universities often had huge underground complexes uh, and that kind of nonsense. And um, from what we can tell, Egbert was having an, a, a love affair with an older man. It's not entirely clear. But at some point, Egbert disappeared from the university and later um, uh, uh, was thinking, you know, apparently was wanted to commit suicide. And uh, his tragic death uh, uh, was sensationalized in Mazes and Monsters, which uh, supposedly came off of uh, the private investigator who was hired to look into the disappearance of Egbert, uh, wanted to play up the Dungeons and Dragons angle because it sounded cool and new. And that turned into the book, Mazes and Monsters, which is about some people who do LARPs. And one of them takes it, the Tom Hanks character, takes it a little too far and has a dissociative episode and wanders off to go commit suicide on um, the World Trade Center. It is definitely a very bizarre movie. And what I find hilarious about it is because... I feel like these ones that are like built around like the panic side of like this whole thing that happened back then are trying to make a horror story out of the least horrifying people on the planet. A bunch of nerds. Yep. Well, have, you, is, have you seen the movie? The contrast of that yeah. is hilarious. I, okay. I've seen the reviews of it at the very least. Okay. No, I've seen this in the <laughs> Yeah, because if you watch the movie, the game in the movie is pretty tame. Like, like compared to Stranger Things, where they're vividly describing Demogorgon and other demons of the abyss and using the word demon, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, like in uh, Mazes and Monsters, it's they go on a LARP and there's like a puppet and they talk about magical forces and that kind of stuff. But it's very kind of, you know, big fairy tale Disney, like only the biggest terms. Yeah, I think that the the horror comes from that. This is sort of a part of moral panic was that the yep the hippies were now becoming yuppies and they were going back to the suburbs and they were afraid that their kids were going to do what they were doing back in the 1960s. So everybody thought they were doing 1960s, and so like you know people talk about helicopter parents. The the me generation city was the first one that was like that because we have to protect the kids. We got to make sure we know what they're doing. We don't want them to do drugs. We don't want them to go astray. And this Dungeons and Dragons thing was a thing that they did. The parents were like, "We don't get it." Well, the, we, the, don't, yeah, we don't the get it. Yeah. Panic goes yeah. a little further than that because, of like, course, there, yeah. were, there were parents groups advocating to boycott Boys Life magazine. Boys Life mm-hmm. magazine, the official <laughs> magazine of the Boy Scouts, because the Infocom computer company ran an mm-hmm. ad for their Enchanter computer game and had a picture of a wizard, a photo, sorry, a photograph of a wizard in a wizard hat stirring up cauldron of dry ice wizardry satanism yeah, um, but also, amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, also what's happening was well, you had a, a counter counterculture conservatives especially in the united states and the uk had come back to power and with it came a tale of evangelical revivalism more public as well so now they were looking for scapegoats pornography rock and roll you know right, rap but, music right. and dnd anything that was that they could market because that's what the marketing actually that's worth doing Marketing as being weird, bizarre, and demonic was a target, even yeah. something as as the ending. But but I want to emphasize that like that doesn't happen in Mazes and Monsters, which is no. a pretty tame made for television story, mm-hmm. and uh, it definitely doesn't happen in ET. But so there was a movie that released in 1983, which is like about a year and a half after Mazes and Monsters. Although we think it might have been in production before that, and this movie is called Skullduggery. And Skullduggery is a very bizarre, nigh-unwatchable movie that apparently is supposed to be some sort of horror mindfuck movie. But two of the actors that were in it were also in the Mazes and Monsters movie. And the movie is bookended with people playing what apparently is Dungeons and Dragons. That a bunch of college students get together and play D&D in the first uh, scene. And they play D&D in the last scene. And there's like a horror stinger in it. I guess I... I don't know why I'm not spoiling a movie I don't think any of you should see. But um, <laughs> no, please do. Uh, out of all the movies I put on my list, Skullduggery is the only movie that actually represents Dungeons & Dragons as being something even remotely satanic. Mm. Right. It, it would be hard, I think, to, in such a short amount of time, push that amount of uh, craziness from the satanic panic straight into a movie. And then also expected to get like any kind of budget or title. Well, not necessarily. Like this is the nineteen like nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties. You could make a movie in a two week shooting schedule and have it on videotape by the end of the month. Yeah, that's I mean, true. That's true. Uh it's um Skullduggery was probably just sitting around for a while. Um mm-hmm. and uh the satanic panic goes back before that. That goes back to the sixties. But D and D did get labeled as part of Satanic Panic. There's like the second edition of D and D infamously scrubbed all references to demons. Uh, in some effort to get parents' groups off their backs, which is also weird. There are people who worked for D&D at the time saying that all the Satanic Panic did was boost D&D's cachet. But um, uh, these are movies uh, that indeed existed. Um, let's see, when does uh, um, 
like skullduggery is just weird. Like I don't highly recommend it. It's kind of it has some weird scenes in it. When it's not weird, it's boring. Oh wow, Shockwave doesn't come out till 1990. Wow, that was pretty late. Yeah, that's uh, a big jump right there. Shockwave you may have heard of because it was featured on Red Letter Media. Is that where any of you heard of it? Oh yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. Okay, I mean I, I saw it on HBO because I was, you know, I had HBO in the. Um, but yeah, but it's it's a bizarre movie about a um killer. Uh, what is it? Not orangutan. What is that? Monkey. Yeah. What was it? <laughs> uh, According to Wikipedia, it's baboon. Yeah. Oh, baboon. Why did I forget that? Yeah, they've, he's in several movies. So it's a killer baboon on the loose, but for some reason they're playing a LARP. And I wanted to mention this one because it's probably the one most people are familiar with because it was on Red Letter Media, where they're doing some kind of weird LARP that's controlled by walkie-talkies. Um, has any of you ever been in a LARP that had walkie-talkies? Ooh, ooh, I have. A couple of them, actually. Usually the people running the game will maybe just have them so that they can communicate without having to walk well, across whatever building or field they're in. Yeah, and I hadn't really... In 1990, I hadn't seen that. But after the 90s, you start to have larger LARPs. I, mm-hmm. I only saw that in... Um, uh, there was a Call of Cthulhu LARP and a Vampire LARP. What did you see that in? Uh, this uh, this one uh, I've seen uh, were in a bunch of small ones, which were run by a company up north when I was uh, studying. And they were running like a small set of like storytelling miniature ones that would last like literally a weekend. So one shots, basically. The other one is like a more local one to where I am now, where they kind of have a continuing campaign. They have like a large park that they basically rent out so they don't want to walk all the way across when they just want to ask like hey is someone like hanging out in like the tavern building it's like yeah, yeah. tell him he's getting he's getting a vision you do that it's like oh yeah sure <laughs> yeah that kind of uh, coordination third instance would be like a sci-fi larp which uh, run by those same people where they just said hey if you're a character and you can build a radio just just bring a walkie-talkie it's okay dude <laughs> makes sense yeah, yeah most of people, that was fun and interesting. Yeah, so um, uh, I mean that that's kind of a tangential. I guess the one that I think that most people would think of when they think of something is the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Oh gosh, like, yes, with the annoying little gnome GM. Yeah, so have you have you have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. I have seen it, and it burns into my nightmares every night. Well, you um, know what? Uh, I want to say something about that because that's at the time where Guy Guy was trying to get a D&D movie going and then he went to Hollywood and that helped to split uh, him and he got relegated to Hollywood some tellings of the tale. Uh, right, I mean he was pushing the property which is how they got that on the Saturday morning cartoons because it was getting pretty popular but yes also during that time I have exact timeline Gary was pushing a movie uh, you can find the leaked script online. Um, it's a very weird script. It's basically an isekai about five kids who all work together to learn the power of friendship that has, like, nothing to do with D&D. Yeah, it's very tangentially related in that, like, there's occasionally a reference to a creature featured in, like, a book somewhere. But what it is is just really strange. It's like, yeah, it, without, yeah but, uh, with less sex and violence. But I like to think about uh, the cartoon in a way that I think a lot of the actually successful uh, ones are like. Well, this one is because it tries to emulate what it is to be in the fantasy world of D&D. And that's why it's not that strong. Whether some of the others who we're talking about, they try to talk about the experience of playing the game. And maybe you have some of the jokes where, you know, you have the players on the table and then they're doing the thing in the outdoors and, you know, kind of LARPing around. It's like, oh, I, you know. 
I, I, I shoot it to the darkness, that sort of thing. So there's a difference because yeah. trying to emulate on a movie something from a different media, it's just like, you know, you know, you lose a lot in translation. Uh, well, I mean, I, 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 um, uh, I have a fascination with it because it was um, uh, it, the show was the head writer for it was Mark Evanier, who I already joked was the lead writer on Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> um, but he also has another claim to fame. Are you sitting down? I am. Mark, Mark Evanier is the creator of Scrappy Doo. Oh, yikes! <laughs> okay. Uh, Mark Evanier has also done some many awesome things, like written the um, uh, uh, biography of Jack Kirby that's awesome because he was Jack Kirby's assistant for many years. He has a long history of working on a bunch of stuff. Uh, including uh, the Garfield and Friends cartoon uh, and many of the new iterations of the Garfield. Yeah, I think he's working mm-hmm. on the more recent one too, the 3D one. But okay, so he was working a lot in children's entertainment. And uh, I think uh, I'm fascinated by the approach. You can you can find his blog online and uh, lots of details about it. Um, I mean, the cartoon was made to be kids friendly, but there's two things that fascinate me is like, first of all, there's no rules to the fantasy set for Dungeons and Dragons. It's like it's a bunch of kids trapped in a fantasy world. This fantasy world is not Greyhawk. This fantasy world is not Forgotten Realms, which hasn't been invented yet. This uh, It's not Dragonlance, which is in the process of being invented. Uh, it's some sort of bizarre fantasy world that was whatever was popping into the writer's heads that also got past standards and practices. But the other thing that's always been fascinating to me about it is none of this material that was in any of the cartoon show with one exception would ever wind up in the game. What's our one exception here? We have to, there is one bizarre basic set adventure that has stock characters that are based on the action figures. And it's, and it's just like, you can play the evil wizard or the evil anti-paladin and they have stats for them in, in the, in, in it. And that's it. But but the, there's no specific like tie-in. Venger has never been statted anywhere, or I mean, not you know officially. Maybe fans did. Who knew? Um, I mean, I think War Duke was in that cartoon in one episode. Uh, people who know might know who War Duke is, which was a well, a series of uh, toys that were released for Dungeons and Dragons at this time, and then it got incorporated into Greyhawk. I think there's one okay. episode. There's at least one one time where Warduke shows, and of course Tiamat would just show it every other episode because yeah, I mean maybe, maybe but it's. Compare this to Dragonlance, because when Dragonlance comes out uh, under the helming of, like, this is when Lorraine Williams was in charge. Dragonlance comes out as a computer game, a novel, and a D&D tie-in uh, dungeon module all at the same time. Like, like it was everywhere. If you wanted to be Dragonlance, you could be Dragonlance. Here it is right here in your hands. And then yeah. every time a new novel came out, there was more stuff for it. I don't know if there was always computer games, but every novel yeah, was translated into uh, material directly statted for D&D. It was totally integrated that way. So uh, it, I think this just kind of showed a weird, like the transition in Dungeons & Dragons where it, it's weird it's always been weird to me where you could watch the D and D show. Look at how exciting it is. They're blocking the Cavalier shield block stuff magically. Uh, this guy's got a laser bow and you go, wow, that looks great. And you get to the game. None of that's in it. Yeah. It just, I think in third edition, they right? actually introduced a bow like that in third edition. Yeah. And there's well, a reflection, well, it, reflection, yeah, reflection comes out 20 it. years later. And there was a shield, like sort of like that, which is a reflection mirror shield thing that has been around for a while. But that's about I, I it. Mean, yeah. 
Maybe there's one that has a circle of protection that works like a force shield. I mean, it's D&D. They got a huge magic. But I'm talking about, like, if you went and saw that show and said, that show looks great, I want to go do that, and then went to go get Dungeons & Dragons product in 1983, you were out of luck. There was no way to do that. You couldn't get a hat that pulled out magic things or a magic staff that let you jump over stuff. You couldn't be a thief acrobat. That's another Arcana on a sidebar somewhere. And you have uh, to like level up to qualify for that. It was like like what I'm getting at here is like that was oh that was a very weird it's it continues to be a weird thing with me when something is in a franchise, but they don't make it available in the game. Right. It seems like an incredible missed opportunity, right? I mean, I, I think what happened was there was no communication between the people making the cartoon and making the, the game. There was none whatsoever. And yeah. uh, like we got the license and we're going to do whatever. That's it. And we kind of get yeah. the thing with the dragons being firing. We call it the ending. That's it. Which will bring us to the 2000 movie with <laughs> Jeremy Irons in it. That's the movie probably most people know is the Dungeons and Dragons movie that came out. I've seen this one. Yeah, I wish I didn't. <laughs> Okay, you so know, as someone who recently, your misery. Yeah, yeah, also, as someone who recently watched the sequel to that movie, trust me, it can get worse. <laughs> really, you thought this? You thought the sequel was worse? Most people think it's better. So, oh so lessons, no. give give us your experience. Yeah, come on, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us. Oh no, he's oh, dead. Oh no, he killed his mic. Shockma got him. Oh Rather wait, there is. <laughs> so with us, lessons. Yes, yeah. Okay, okay. Why don't you tell us your experience? Okay. Uh, I think the problem, and this is what I mentioned earlier, right? The the kind of movie that tries to emulate the sort of fantasy of Dungeons and Dragons, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of fails. Because the other movie I remember that name, actually name drops Greyhawk, uh, but doesn't do anything, but it's kind of sort of related. It's Hawk the Slayer, right? Those kind of movies, and I know Rafferty probably heard about Hawk the Slayer, maybe. Uh, and like that, you know, they, they basically they come up as generic fantasy with some mention or they have D and D in it. Right. Well, I mean, I, I just want to like, yeah, I, to, to to put this back, it's like not only does it fail, it doesn't even try because the premise of the movie is that wizards are a separate race of people, yeah, from everyone else, and they have an aristocracy uh, that rules over the world. And Jeremy Irons is an evil wizard who controls dragons because that's what wizards do they control dragons and the weird part about this is none of this is in any like D anywhere <laughs> i think they they do have the orb of dragon kind or kin. and i think i remember uh, that part there is yeah. an orb of dragon kind buried in one of the items yes tell yeah, me yes. tell me which setting is it that has the uh, as a dynasty of hereditary wizards using uh, orbs of dragon kind to control their dragon armies. We're halfway there with the Red Wizards of Thay, but honestly, that's stretching it. I mean, maybe with the Red Wizards in, in Forgotten Realms. Uh, you know what it actually is? That's in Elric of Melnobonet, which is a completely different fantasy series. Yeah. <laughs> probably that was your, that probably that was the original idea. They had that license or thought they were already and it's no, like, no, well, no, we no. got the D&D license. We do if that's what they had, they're wrong in other ways. Now, in, yeah. in other words, like like... Like, like it's a question of like what do you know you could argue that D is a generic fantasy so you can do whatever you want with D. so if you do whatever you want with D, then the dungeon if D can be anything then the 2000 dungeons and dragons movie is completely faithful to dungeons and dragons because dungeons and dragons can be anything mm-hmm. like theoretically it should be the simplest thing to do because you can just throw anything at the wall and as long as you have a heroic story 
you've basically got Dungeons Dragons there, right? Well, I, right, and and I would just you know argue that's not you know uh, no, people no. are disappointed. Are people disappointed in the movie uh, because of snails, or are people disappointed in the movie? Uh, you know, because uh, are people disappointed in the movie because they think it's a bad movie, but still, it's still authentic the D and D experience. Like, would you say if you want to like know what Greyhawk, if you want to know what the campaign setting of our world would be like, watch this Dungeons and Dragons movie? Would you say that to anyone? Oh, absolutely not. Like that, that that would be the critical thing, which I think most people get on about, like tabletop game, e movies, and even video game movies. None of them are really consistent or faithful to any material whatsoever. I wouldn't say that because there's one movie that's incredibly faithful, and it's on my list. Oh, it's on your list. There is Dragons of Autumn Twilight, the the animated version that adapts the first Dragonlance novel. Yeah, I saw parts of that, and I it is incredibly it. faithful to the original Dragonlance story. Have any of you seen it? I started seeing it, and for some reason, I just couldn't finish it. I was like, I stopped at the part of the boat. I was like, okay, this is just too much. And they had some good voice actors and actresses, but still, like, there was something about it as Raceland, which is the best choice ever. So now we, you know, Solid Snake is also Raceland. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and Lucy Lawless, who I don't think is Goldmoon. She's someone else, isn't she? She's Zena. I don't know. I can't, I can't remember all the Dragonlance characters. Sorry, buddy. Oh, I'm a Shannara. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to make oh. a movie about that as well. Which reminds me, none of us have seen the Shannara movies. Ah. Yeah. Ah. We're yeah. bad nerds. <laughs> From what I understand, but anyway. Right, so if, if you get a chance to see the Dragon's Autumn Twilight, uh, which apparently is so bad, lessons couldn't finish it. Um, it is a faithful adaptation of the first Dragonlance novel, um, and uh, it's um, not very memorable, from what I understand, because most people can't remember it. And also, if, if you man, I'm gonna sound so mean when I say, "Can I be mean? Can I, this is be my one meanness for today." All right, all right, we'll we'll get you one. We're we're gonna put it on this card. You got like. If you're two wondering words. what people are complaining about when they're complaining about certain tone deafness in Dungeons and Dragons. You can see it in Autumn Twilight because it has ah. village dwarves in it. Uh, not only does it have village dwarves in it, but it also has the half-elf character who, for some reason, it's considered an important plot point to point out that he's a half-elf every single chance they get and how no one trusts him because he is neither human nor elf. Um, this and was the a reason big... why he was a half-elf, the specific reason why he was a half-elf, that's also, I think, brought up as well. Yeah, I mean, people just don't Mm -hmm. trust. I always wanted to point that out. Like, people thought there's a big, oh my God, the Witcher has racism in it. It's like, yeah, we read this in Dragonlance already. Yeah. Um, The Witcher, at uh, least, is a highly successful, iconic series of fantasy in its own right. Well, the Witcher fucks. I mean, he just wins. Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Also, uh, I think one of the problems with the Chachi is so faithful. One of the things that the original novels had the problem with, and, and the novels were YA before YA was a thing. Is that you rarely actually see the combat? I don't re- actually. It's very difficult to remember one or two combat themes that are actually sort of like either they start a combat and nothing happens, or we see it happens and they move to something else. You don't. It's true. Like if you go read a modern fanfic that a lot of people have done, usually because they're transcribed D and D adventures, a lot of them will want to describe the combat play by play. Whereas you don't get a lot of play-by-play description of combat in Dragonlance novels. Uh, I, w- I would agree with you there. 
No, but um, you you can actually write a sequence where you have the combat, and then and you don't sh- you shouldn't actually avoid play by play unless you're very good at it because it has a very special tempo to it. Because otherwise, it just gets repetitive. Like you swing the sword, or the, no, that can happen. Well, yeah, they don't but, describe it. They usually describe the results, and also Dragon yeah. has that weird thing where the corrupted dragon egg people, um, Drag- like either explode or your sword gets stuck in them and totally yes. ruined when they petrify when you kill them. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have ever played a Dragonlance game, but man, it hates PC. Wow. <laughs> well, and yet you're suppo- and they're supposed to survive throughout the entire campaign for some reason. That's yeah. for reason. Explode. It's hilarious. So, um, yeah. So, um, I read Robert, actually read, you were about to describe why you thought that actually it was good. The movie was good. We yeah. actually... Back. We ran over. We were, ran over. <laughs> you were, what, we were talking about we the first D and D movie now yes, with yes, Jeremy yes. Irons. Yes, let's go back to that. Why do I think it's good? Ugh, that's a tough. To, I, I can't like defend. You know what? I'll defend. Um, defend it. Go on. I think because I actually went back and watched this one more recently with a bunch of my friends. I don't know why. Um, and there's a lot to hate there, but you know what? Jeremy Irons is having a blast. I think uh, Marlon Wayne is having a blast. All of the actors, the actor who's like a discount Christian Slater protagonist man is, is having a blast. There's obvious that there was no direction happening in the movie because if you watch the actors do stuff, they're just, they're tearing apart the scenery. They're improving. It's you hear about the production difficulties. Uh, no, not, not exactly. I, I could imagine the that they're was, there though. The guy who was pushing to produce the movie wound up directing it and he had had no directorial experience so yep you you totally picked up on that you can tell there's a great scene where they're running through a bazaar and the bazaar set is great because it's like any fantasy bazaar set you've ever seen but you can see that in one scene they've put a stuffed black cat in like a cauldron on like hanging from like a, a thing and Marlon Wayans has grabbed that cat and it's in the next scene where they're all con- sort of like peeking around the corner and the stuffed cat is there too. And you can tell that no one was directing this. <laughs> like the dude who was directing was watching the movie happen and just say, that's that's great. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, so it's a lot of fun. In actual defense of the story, I will say it doesn't represent any Dungeons & Dragons setting that any player would be familiar with. But I think to contrast it with the sequel, the sequel feels like it was taken from an actual game played. Yeah. And that, I think, like what Lessons had said, if you're going to try to transcribe an actual game, you need to be really good at it because there's things that are fun in a game that don't translate at all to a standard narrative. And I think that movie really falls apart because of it. It's got the it's got the big long running quests uh, issue, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. literally name dropped the Tower of Iberness in the in the first dialogue. Like the Paladin is talking to the to his wife, who happens to be the wizard, and she's like, "Yeah, remember what we did in the Tower of Iberness?" Like, yeah, yeah, I remember. And it's like, okay, so are we going to go through you know the village of Homeland next? What what, what are we doing? Oh, well, now <laughs> yeah. I mean, now we know they're level eight to twelve. Um, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. Oh, and that movie, like, you see. You see, oh, look, I know that monster. That's a Magman. So they picked, like, the most uninteresting monster from the game, and they put it in here. That's well done, everybody. We put in the level one kobolds. Congratulations. We did it, everybody. They, Even they, they did would be the beholder in the first movie, which That's good true. on that. No, not good on them, because they put a beholder in, and then they run around the beholder and don't get spotted, which is... She's like, yes! Exactly. Like the most- oh, wait, that's the reason it has so many eyes, you can't... I mean, that's yeah, exactly right. even if you... 
didn't know D&D. That's like, it's a monster three of five balls. And it can't guard a single or oh, sorry, a single open I mean, field. Actually, yeah. one of the cool things is that Futurama not only didn't see it, made it funnier because you know the people who made that in Futurama. Actually, Guy Gygax actually was featuring Futurama before he passed he was away. actually on the show, yeah. Yeah. Actually played Dungeons and Dragons. So they knew the joke, they set up the joke, and and and, and the beholder goes like, "Yeah, whatever, I'm too tired." Oh my god, that's hilarious! Yeah, um, yeah. no, because this could like the second movie. I think I would agree is truer to the spirit of D anD D, and that you could use that as a case of saying, "Well, obviously, adapting Dungeons and Dragons to a movie is a bad idea because a game is boring." Therefore, the first movie. Uh, took a better approach. I mean, like once again, I'm saying advocacy here. They might just say, "Well, the first movie took a better approach, being you know being different with it." But then I would you know like have to flip around and say, "But look, there's already Dragonlance, Forgotten Realms, um, you know, and other second stringers like Greyhawk and whatever Gary Gygax was writing." Um, mm-hmm. There's already a bunch of other stories and material like Dragon Magazine used to run short stories. There's all sorts of material they could have drawn from. So the first movie just makes up some weird story from whole cloth uh, about a dynasty of wizards and the dragons they control, which isn't from any of the settings. And right, I can only imagine someone like wrote this down on a napkin, passed it over to a scriptwriter, and just said, eh, make something out of it. I mean, well, or someone was tasked to write it, which is also the same thing that, that's with Gary uh, Gygax's Unshopped movie. I mean, I'm sympathetic to the cartoon show, but like D&D had a problem when it came out because... You know, they were just grabbing any fantasy they wanted and throwing it in the book and, and whatever they thought was cool. Although, obviously, you know, the writers thought, you know, pole arms were awesome or something because they had definitely. There's 12 pages and, of it. Of course they are. Yeah. I love pole arms and hate girls. So, um, you know, they, they obviously had strong opinions on stuff. And so when the guys had to make a TV show in freaking 1984, they didn't have anything to work with. Plus, they had to make a kid's show. So the fact that they had to make up all that stuff uh, and then for some reason, T- I mean, it, it's always a, a weird business thing. I want to say where like TSR decided not to ride the wave and then they almost went bankrupt. If it wasn't for like Lorraine Williams coming out and aggressively marketing Mistara, which no one remembers. And um, oh, that's uh, the, the, the rebranding of the known world. Yeah. And Dragonlance. Yes. Um you know, and, and jumping on those brands and aggressively marketing that, it totally turned it around. All that stuff that we love, like Dragonlance, Forgotten Realms, Planescape, comes out later when D&D aggressively manages source material to uh, to make their world more interesting. And the fact that they had all of those different worlds to pick from, and then, you know, the movies came out. It's not until 2000, and it's a, a little surprising that it's not until 2008 that we get a Dragonlance but I think if you watch the Dragonlance movie, I think that even though Dragonlance is extremely popular, I think it's like way more dated. Yeah. Uh, that's, the fact that you could finish watching the 2000 Dungeons and Dragons movie, but you couldn't finish watching the 2008 Autumn Twilight movie, I think says a lot. Even with the CGI dragons at the end of the battle on the castle. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Well, the CGI in both movies. Yeah. Speaking of things like nobody wants to see, so one of the things that like definitely happens like in tabletop games is people like get distracted, forget the rules, or have an argument. But when it comes to like the comedy versions of these movies, like the ones that actually end up being good because they're funny, that's kind of where most of the comedy comes from, isn't it? Like uh, the example I think here uh, that we had in some of our pre-thinking was the Dead Ales Wives Watchtower skit. 
Well, those aren't, and those aren't live action skits. Those were on recorded albums. Right. Those are just recorded albums. Maybe later some people animate them, but still, basically, uh, I think the gamers ends up being like a very good uh, use of reference yeah, right, here, too. Data is giving us memes all over the place. I just want to stop you real quick because fo- sure. folks may not know who the Dead Alewives are, but I'll, I'll let, let me remind you Dungeons and Dragons, Satan's Game. <laughs> that long comedy bit that has that with the I want some Mountain Dew, that's Dead Alewives. Yeah. You probably yeah. heard that clipped and it wasn't attributed. Now you know. I attack mm-hmm. the darkness. I yes. attack the darkness. <laughs> that was incredibly <laughs> true to the experience. Uh, the Gamers is a movie that you can watch online. Uh, I've seen it, which is um, uh, it's very much for knowing people because I think it's great when they have uh, they have a bunch of people around a table and then they'll cut to how this would look in a fantasy world. And my personal favorite bit is the guy who's not there. His character's there, <laughs> but he's not there. So every time he's in a scene, he's just standing there motionless while everyone ignores him because he's you know, not there, so no one's allowed to interact with him. And that, that, that cracks me up every single time I see it. Right, exactly. Yeah, but it, I think it, that, that, that those work because they focus on the experience on the table. Like the relatable, yeah. being with your friends and, you know, and being the, the oh, friend of what Yeah. And it has yeah. all the inside jokes for people who like play Dungeons and Dragons and for people who are from size, like, yeah, these people are just sitting around the table having fun and you have the annoying friend nobody likes and you have the know-it-all and the rules lawyer and the exasperated friend who wants everybody to have fun but has to carry the whole weight in the shoulders, usually the GM, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So... And of course, when you put it in them, the same actors playing on the field, it looks silly, and it's part also part of the joke, right? But well, it's also it, the kind it, of two things that are cool, like a fireball. It's like, yeah, okay, that looks weird, but I like the fact that the guy's doing a fireball. That seems like a cool idea. It especially illustrates uh, one of the things I love about gaming because the gamers is worth it just for the performative scene because there's a scene where the GM wants the bad guy to come out and monologue at the players. Like to come out and start, you know, like giving his big dramatic speech. And one of the players isn't having any of it and keeps saying, I shoot it. Just keep saying that over and over again. I shoot him with my bow. And the GM has to keep coming up with excuses of, ah, oh, no, actually, you're shocked by surprise. It takes three rounds. And so the player starts counting off the seconds since each round is one second long in DD, no, sorry, six seconds long in DD third edition. And when 18 seconds have come by, he interrupts him again to say, I shoot him. Uh, I'm being informed by our moderator here that, uh, or sorry, our producer here, that there's a gazillion gamers movies. I've only yeah. seen the first. Yeah, yeah it just so, never ends. Yeah, but but um, well, it's a good bit. But but what I love about that bit is that shows like like the the ludo narrative dissonance going on. The GM is there and wants to be performative and show characters. And if this was a like if this was Critical Role, like you know, Mercer could be up there monologuing. All the other people would just would just listen. They would just sit there and behave because they would know that this is, you know, part of the story and they're supposed to be immersive. None of them would be buzzkills. They would all do that. But the gamers know that if you did this with some gamers, some gamers are there. They don't want to listen to these speeches. They want, you know, this isn't getting them any money or experience. This isn't what they want. And they don't care about some character that isn't them that the GM just made. So they want to kill them. I think, like, I love that scene because it just illustrates that right there. Like, if you're, that, that's the Mercer effect in a movie. Right, definitely. There was a similar movie, which wasn't The Gamers. Uh, I think it was from Dale, that Ailes, uh, which was um, the the big bad the big bad guy turned out to be the the roommate, the college roommate down the road. 
because down the, the hall because he kept interrupting it because they were shouting in the hall in the hall here i guess i'm hearing a little background sorry about that um and so she kept interrupting and she eventually became the big bad in the game Okay, um, I, I don't know what movie that is. Does anybody know what movie that is? I think it came out uh, with uh, alongside the the gamers. In fact, I said earlier that I should confuse the two of them. Uh, so it's the, uh, the looking for group comedy troupe that made flash animations and live action stuff. But uh, I am only passingly familiar with looking for group. Isn't that where Tina Fey comes from? Oops! Oh my gosh, the cat is attacking. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, Red, you the cat has knocked something around. Oh, oh just buzzing. We're not oh, getting no. your audio at all, Red. Oh, no. Oh, no. Save us. <laughs> yeah, I decided that it, is, it was over. We're done. Working on the microphone. Uh, darkness Rising. Okay. But, um, yeah, I haven't seen any of the sequels. I'm sure they're good because the gamers was funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big, big uh, in the mid-2000s, yeah. Uh, I, did, uh, I, I, did want, I did want to do a, a quick shout-out uh, while we're waiting for Red to get the mic back. Is... um. Uh, there's a movie that, that was made by uh, Nerdist.com, who are very much aggressively influencers in the nerd age. But this was early. This is 2013, and I rewatched wow. it. It's called Zero Charisma, hmm. and I want to point out that it's the flip side to everything we've been talking here, where the gamers is silly and affectionate parodies uh, with knowing winks. Zero Charisma is very much in the Wes Anderson. Uh, um, and Lars von Trier school uh, uh, of like very like unflinching and and uh, and and cruel. But um, I'm Rafferty and I hate fun, <laughs> so uh, you can watch it for free on YouTube. And I recommend it because uh, if you're if you have a low tolerance for cringe, you might not be able to watch it. But I seeing people I recognize and then seeing myself in some of those scenes just made me go ooh. Um, plus also I'm curious if that era still holds up because it's a, it's a 2013 movie that's pairing 2010 gamers. So I'm not sure how much of that is still uh, relevant today. I just, the set design alone was just frightening. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, definitely because check it out. I like tree, tree tree comedy tree. as well. Even for cringe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I knew a lot of people. Like, I don't know anybody in the gamers mo- uh, movie, but I know people in the Zero Charisma. Movie. <laughs> but so, Red, your microphone went out. What were what were you going to say? Oh no, I. Um, you guys can hear me now, right? Yeah, That's we right. can hear you now. Okay, cool. Sorry, I had a cat who thinks it's dinner time. It's not dinner time, um, <laughs> but she's she's waiting patiently. Uh, but no, uh, I don't remember what we were talking about. Uh, we were talking about the Dungeons and Dragons movies. Yeah. Like the official ones. I mean, they're good. I think that first one is worth checking out if for no other reason than um, there's a lot yeah. of really great, funny, bad you were, acting. You were championing the first one because uh, um, even though it has lack of direction and the production value is a little iffy, uh, if you go into it with a good spirit and expecting just to see a kind of silly, schlocky movie, I would agree that uh, among its faults, pacing is not really one of them. It moves. It moves. And, you know, I think there's um, there is some imagination on display. I think whoever wrote that thing really wanted to capture. I don't know if they were trying to capture moments from their own D&D game or if this is just what they imagined playing D&D was like. But there's definite set pieces there that I think I find 
inspirational. See, see, I would agree with you there. Like I said earlier, where D&D can be anything. So I think you're right where someone showed up and said, well, this is what D&D meant to me. So I'll go ahead and put that on the screen. And I'm being a negative Nelly here by saying like, well, um, uh, I think we were expecting what D&D means to a lot of people. And we were expecting a lot more signifiers of what a D&D experience, you know, was like. And But, you know, of course, I'm mean. I want to see people getting hit by poison darts and killed instantly because that's what <laughs> I remember. It. And falling yeah. into pits. Uh, well, which, even, you know, I was going to say, even people who aren't mean like you, Raph, they want to see something familiar on the screen. Like, that's what they're paying for. They could see any old fantasy movie. If they were paying for the D&D movie, they want to have the D and D in jokes. They want to see something that resonates to them as D and D. It's the same reason why I have um, like an endless uh, distaste for video game movies. I think similarly, I have a distaste for the role-playing game thing, because I don't think you'll ever see a movie that captures what, you know, the joy of your pastime in movie form, unless you get the guys who made the Lego movie to do it. So. Yes, yeah, so I, have, those I haven't seen the world of, of Warcraft movie, but I hear it has a similar problem the D and D movie has, where it's written weirdly and has no direction. Like their actor, the cameras on actors who weren't told to do anything. Mm. So I mean, um, yeah. again, that's, I think I think that's an inherent problem with media translation, right? Video games, for example, and and, and tabletop RPGs. What are the experience that you're playing it versus seeing someone else do this? Yeah, you know, it's like. It's it's like if you're being a a, a a race car driver or or a baseball player, and saying comparing the way you play or drive versus seeing someone else on the screen do well, that. Well, yeah. right, but, but but there are several. I, I agree with there, but it's the weird thing of where they went to make a D and D movie in 2000. There already had been dozens of novels based off of Dungeons and Dragons, many of which could have easily have been adapted. Uh, so, so it, it's not it's not like they uh, it's not like they had to take a game it's not like the 1983 where they had to take a game of a bunch of abstract ideas and turn it into a kid show by 2000 or even 1990 by the time the guy was shopping it around they could have grabbed a Mistara novel they could have grabbed uh, you know uh, a Dragonlance novel these had industry like professionals like well Margaret Weiss and Tracy Aikman became professionals because they're writing Dragonlance but they were on the New York Times bestseller lists so obviously people like this. And Mistara is the brainchild of Aaron Alston, the guy who wrote Rogue Squadron, for crying out loud. One of the biggest selling Star Wars spinoffs. He was also an industry insider. They could have gotten their material together and, and made something out of that. And uh, it, it was just, uh, um, you know, you don't actually see an adaptation of Dragonlance until 2008. And uh, But I think you're right. I think uh, Red's theory of uh, somebody wanting the spirit of what D&D meant to him put up there. But that also gets into the weird things of like, is the spirit of D and D a mandated uh, monarchical dynasty where magic is an inherited power, and 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 more importantly, dragons have no speaking lines. So that's a very fair point. Mm-hmm. I think it also also interesting because you can see someone who really wants to show a political story, who has no acumen when it comes to telling political stories um and that's where you get like scenes with the senate and stuff in that movie which are just fantastic um we, so we yeah. already seen phantom people are already making fun of phantom menace for right and they were like oh we'll get this one right we'll take our swing at it and it was oh <laughs> oh 
So. Yeah, I feel, I feel it. Well, I mean, like I even said, did I say we weren't going to talk about Hawk the Slayer? <laughs> yeah. Good question. Okay. I don't remember. Uh, it's a, been so long. Your movie, Hawk the Slayer, um, it's not actually a D&D movie, but you watch it and you go, that's a D&D movie. Because uh, it's literally got a ranger, um, Hawk, who is, I guess, a fighter, uh, a dwarf, and an elf. I mean, they're liter- it literally is a person of size, who they call a dwarf, uh, um, and, and a guy who's an elf. And they literally do his super archery with jump cuts. It's hilarious, where he just like fires the bow, they jump cut, and he's reloaded. They just do that rapid fire, so he fires three arrows and kills people. It's so good. awesome. It's... It, it's made for no budget. And, it should uh, be. <laughs> uh, it's not really a D&D game ad- ad- uh, adapted, but it might as well be. And it's like way better than like any of the like Deathstalker movies or Beastmaster or whatever. It, it's Hawk, Hawk the Slayer. There's a reason uh, why our producers recommend it. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and, go see, and it was made in like 1981. So you like you can go see that and you have to wonder if the D&D guy, if the D&D, if the D&D guy had just seen Hawk the Slayer, all he had to do was that. And we'd all be happy. So go see Octopus. And um, man, uh, there was. I guess I should me- uh, talk about Midnight Madness because it's in the title, right? Yeah, let's let's do Midnight Madness. Midnight next. Madness. We you know really very briefly. It's not really based off of D and D. It's the infamous movie with Leon in it. It's a movie about a guy. It's a Disney movie about a guy who sends a bunch of people off in steam tunnels, which is what its relation is with Mazes of Monsters, because that's also about people larping in the steam tunnels and solving a bunch of puzzles. Midnight Madness is what a lot of 1970s geek culture was like. Uh, it's notable for the first appearance of Michael J. Fox. He is so young and tiny. <laughs> uh, it's a very weird Disney movie. Uh, it's a Disney movie that for some reason is sponsored by Paps Blue Ribbon. That's such an incredibly weird combination of things. So it, it's not really a game movie, but I wanted to put it in the title because I wanted to get some... Uh, some bona fides in there. And although I, our producer has many more titles to recommend, I've never seen any of these journey quest uh, materials. Um, I, I gotta I, say I'm taken by the title alone. And that first promo poster journey quest, that's inspired move. Journey quest. And uh, what is it? Unicorn quest. I just had unicorn quest recommended to us, which is a bizarre movie. Let me make sure I got the title on this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, unicorn city. I'm sorry. There's a movie of Unicorn City, which is made in Utah with state funding about a bunch of gamers who try to set up a utopian community. Of course it would be in Utah. Of course it would be. Uh, that sounds yeah. weirdly it's familiar. Uh, I'm told it's uh, innocent and tame. So take well, it is Utah. what you will. Unicorn City. You um, know what? How about if we're throwing out tangentially related i realize this is probably my pick for best uh portrayal of a role-playing game in a movie is the um pixar movie onward love the hell out of that movie and they lean hard into their faux DD. and then i think they made like a they made a tie-in merchandise game that's kind of like DD light for it too i haven't seen that i thought that was uh supposed to be like bright where it's like a fake fantasy world it's kind of a fake fantasy world, but it's very much so the premise there is that it's like, oh, yes, our modern world was just as our modern world is based on this, you know, uh, middle uh, middle kingdom. No, but like middle earth type of world where there was magic, presumably. 
in the setting there's yeah. elves and there's trolls and stuff but they're like working at pizza hut but then <laughs> the game that they play the D game that they play is all based on historical fact so the character that's the D D grognard nerd is the one who like believes in our hidden potential to use magic and then through the course of the story they unlock their internal magic potential i had no idea that was a gamer movie i learned something today that's, which that's would make cool. which would make this the the panic this tenant panic they were talking about very interesting because yeah. that was the whole thing that you would play the game and you would shoot fireballs from your hand and summon demons and consort with all their powers yeah yeah from D and D denying that they would actually teach people real magic so people wouldn't get mad parents wouldn't get mad at them to Disney making a movie for parents and kids look very much. A movie with a gelatinous cube and a pit trap in it. Like it, it actually does pull oh. some direct references as well. Oh my gosh, that's the most D D thing out of everything so far, isn't it? I <laughs> think throw I... the gelatinous cube and then a pit trap in front of it. Exactly. <laughs> that's a scene that happens in the movie. Also, it's just a great heartwarming movie. It's Pixar, so they know how to tell good stories. I would highly recommend it. Okay, well it's Pixar. I just I did pass on it, but now that's got gaming in it, I'm more interested. Yeah. Um, um... Uh, I was kind of burned out on the bright shadow run type uh, type humor, especially after Shrek. So, uh, um, yeah, but um, no, this sounds pretty good. All right, well, I I, I learned a new gamer movie. Uh, I don't think any of us saw the oh, what is it? Dungeons and there's a SpongeBob episode about it. It's like Ooh. Dungeons and Idiots or something. I forget. I have no doubt Dungeons at some point. Or something. Okay. None of us have seen that, and I have—I have a feeling it was just a fantasy episode. They just put D and D in the title. So, Probably. Uh, what was the episode? Did, like, um, it was a Parks and Rex. It was the um, episode of uh, Community. Of a community, where they even had a character larping as a drow, and people look at them and go, "Like, did you just really yeah. paint yourself black or dark blue?" And like, well, it's in the game, right? Well, so they make fun of that and all that, yeah. Our purple. They quickly yeah. made the decision to make them purple. Yeah, uh, which I guess makes why. That's problematic. I don't know. Uh, but um, the um, yeah, the D and D episode of Community is really weird too because they use like all uh, first edition materials uh, in uh, the promotions. Like whenever they have books on the table, they're all first edition stuff. I guess that's what they have in the prop department. I thought that maybe, was uh, maybe somebody who was uh, right there. I was like, "Yeah, I have my old collection, my old milk carton worth of books." I hear well, I, 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 I do know when you get props, you want to make sure you have at least two of everything because if yeah, one gets right. destroyed, so that uh, also. Um, I mean, I would just argue that I think older, the first edition uh, remake, the one with the the dungeon master opening the the gates, and he's got the key around his neck. That typography, the big giant white typography on black that just pops is is my favorite era. And I think it's the most, you know, that, that's before like D&D third edition is brown on brown. So you can't see it. And fifth edition is red on red. So you can't read it. That was the last time stuff really popped. So that's that's my design rant. Design is passion. No, I get you. I, I like the 5e books, but I will say that they're taking like large landscape paintings that have good um, composition and cutting them in half so they have terrible composition. Oh my God. You, you look at those and you can't tell what's going on. And the color correction is terrible, but I promised I would be. So basically, we're uh, um, well, so I learned this. There's more movies than I thought about. Uh, uh, our producer definitely wants you all to go check out Journey Quest and LARP. 
So we definitely, uh, I, I realized there were a lot more parody movies. Uh, I kind of want to concentrate on series. I, of course, would recommend Zero Charisma, but, um, you know, uh, I'm going to Slice of Life, Misery, Guts. Uh, and Red is recommending um, we should give Dungeons & Dragons 2000 another look. Maybe, uh, uh, Maybe I will def- definitely agree that a problem with like the later the second D and D movie and later is they often hire serious actors and serious. Man, I'm gonna say something. But serious, pretty people often can't necessarily emote too much or express too much. So they're and if they have a dull script and dull direction, then they're gonna be dull. And so the D and D second movie is dull because no one's doing anything. Whereas in the first one, you've got Jeremy Irons chewing the scenery and Marlon Wayans yeah. there to look at, and some other guys are are there to be pretty excited. Right, so right. If these are gonna be terrible, goofy I mean, movies. He literally, Jeremy Irons walking to the set with a pickaxe, pickaxe, and a bottle of uh, A one stuff, and says, "Where do we start?" Time to go. Yeah. Yeah, watch the scene where they, um, I think the sorceress gets them in like a hold person or like a force cage or something. And so now they're like pretending pantomiming like they're wrapped in a magical lasso and they're running through the stage with some really bad like post-process special effects on top of it. It's delightful when you just like think about how that movie was made. Delightful. Uh, If you go into it expecting it to be goofy, then yeah, you could probably enjoy it a lot. So, um, yeah, I knew... uh, and um so yeah that's uh i think that kind of wraps this up because i think uh uh man uh, uh our, our producer is very enthusiastic about journey quest so i guess we have to go watch that right uh, uh, uh i have journey a low quest. parody tolerance so i'll have to watch that in small doses mm-hmm. but but i have to agree with oh well, he just posted this uh uh reaction gift killing equals honor well i, I can't discourage like i can't disagree with that killing equals <laughs> <laughs> So, any other titles that uh, we need to mention that we're missing? I, mean, I guess Onward is highly recommended. Yeah. And, and one of those things where, if you really want a good story that also evokes this hobby that you like, I mentioned the Lego movie as an example too. I think that it's rare. Some people can pull it off, and usually when they do pull it off, it's because they're using it as a as a medium to tell a more personal story through the trappings of this thing. And that's very much what they do with Onward. Two thumbs way up. You have to love it. Like, I think a problem with the Dungeons & Dragons movie is that you have people wanting to make a movie and they kind of have to talk about D&D while they do it. So they're not invoking... As much as the writer may have had a love for D&D, no one involved with the movie is expressing a love for D&D. They're all doing something different. As you said, they don't have direction. Whereas I, I think what I'm what I'm endorsing about Zero Charisma, which you're endorsing with Onward, is that the people who made them obviously have a love for this kind of play uh, and, uh, and know these characters and know what's in them. In the case of Onward, it's they want to tell a, a, a hopeful story about people rediscovering their roots and discovering that, you know, with hard work and determination, you can overcome anything. Whereas with Zero Charisma... Um, they, they explore people often use this uh, kind of fantasy for escapism and uh, um, it, the uh, zero charisma is about people coming to terms with what escapism actually means. It's like at some point, you know, reality comes crashing in and uh, it's got really good actors in it. So the, the um, you know, uh, showing it, it's showing, you know, what might've been fun when you were 10 or 20 year olds, when you get 30 or 40 things change seeing that i thought 
uh, you know, rendered in that kind of way, it will resonate with older gamers. I don't. I, I enjoyed it. So uh, I'm definitely you know, going to check it out. Uh, it I think. Good. I think uh, association not exactly movie, but I think movie. If we were to say to picture Hollywood, I think a Netflix style TV series, I think would be the best way to do it, either comedic or serious. Because one of the things that you have to com- have is the idea of the campaign and the world, right? So you have to take time to develop it and say, okay, we're in, you know, in Thetis. Well, not Thetis, that's trying but say right. you're in Faerun, you're in, in uh, you know, in the Flaness, you are in Mistara, right? In own world. And you have to sort well, of... They, they keep trying to make a Forgotten Realms TV show, but they never quite get there. I was a little surprised they made a Shannara TV show, but they, like, Changed all the characters to Nara to be love struck teenagers. So I guess it's like, you know, it's like Riverdale, but with elves. Well, so, I think that the problem with Faerun is that you look at the map and go, like, uh, where do I start? You start in Waterdeep. We're done. You start in Waterdeep. You do the story. <laughs> that's, like that's what you and think. That's and somebody said, sword code. So people will say, no, you know, the, the, you the, always the start in Waterdeep. You, you always start in Waterdeep. We're, we're done. Uh, we, we, we need one set that we can film from four different angles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we and we just keep talking about Xanathar like he's a big deal. We reveal him in the ninth episode. Oh my god, he was an eyeball monster the entire time. Who knew he was capable of horrible crimes? Well, actually, we knew all y'all capable of horrible crimes. Water deep. <laughs> oh no, it's that guy with fifty clones again. Is this the real one? I sure bet it is this time. Uh, they all bleed the same. He'll See, definitely never come back. Than them right now. <laughs> this this might be me just not getting it, you know. But I wonder, like, because when I think about a, a D&D show, it would be a show that would inspire me to play in a fantasy setting. And in the way you guys talk about it, I know it's very important that the setting is represented. But for me, it's like I would point to something like a Witcher, which we already mentioned, but like mm-hmm. the Witcher TV show. When I watch that, I don't think, ah, oh, this feels like D&D. But I feel more like, oh, I wouldn't mind, you know, exploring a fantasy world when I watch this show. So I wonder, you know... For me, maybe that's more important than the call-outs to Waterdeep, Xanathar, and Elminster, uh, well, if this stuff was going to be rendered on the screen. Well, and, and see, that's where I would have it. Uh, I personally have an issue with a lot of the novels because a lot of times they have characters in them that are impossible builds. Like, I'm always complaining about Elminster and Drizzt because you couldn't build those characters in the D&D at the time they were represented. I mean, later they kind of wreck on them, and Elminster still doesn't work. So it, it, it's like like... You know, if you read about those characters and said that would be cool, I'd like to do the same things they do, you couldn't do it. Now, the idea of it inspiring you, I mean, I'm gonna point to Xena Warrior Princess. I mean, you've got your goofy, yeah. you know, Xena, Gabriella, and Joxer, and they're all doing goofy jokes, but they often like will go beat someone up. And, and uh, anytime like Bruce Campbell is there as Autolycus, like, like it, it's it's funny and it, it's got to, you know, it gets you excited and makes you want to go do that kind of stuff. And I would agree, like. Yeah, if if like the Dungeons and Dragons movie kind of captured that feel, but the problem with the 2000 movie is it's so obsessed with its lore and world building that not only is its like world building not D and D, but you're talking about a character driven show. Like you'd be talking about like where we would be following our heroes that we would have like you know maybe a fighter and a thief and a magic user driving. Like I, I guess the example I would use is Record of Lotus which I didn't really bring up because we're getting into anime. But have any of you heard of Record of Lotus War? Yeah. No. Oh, you have to see it. 
Yeah. It's literally an anime based off of somebody's experiences with the wizardry video game. It's literally somebody or uh and no, no. actually it's a conversion. It was actually Dungeons and Dragons, a Japanese um, version. People which say they, that, but I've and seen then the they, interviews. There's no proof oh, they, they actually played D and D. they they hold up RuneQuest and Wizardry in the interviews. They don't hold up D and D. It's very D and D though. Um well it's generic fantasy. So whatever that means. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, if they play RuneQuest and Wizardry, obviously they're the same thing as D and D. It's all the same. But I mean, that, 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 might, that, might, that might be an episode, future episode of how video games yeah, and, 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 and TRPGs are crossover. But yeah, it, it's it's an older anime. It's very clearly gamer inspired. Uh, in fact, it has the classic scene where the characters are talking about exposition and they're walking through a hallway, and while all of them are walking, there's this tr- there's this golden amulet just sitting on a pedestal and like everyone just walks past it without giving a second look and the and when they get to the last character the elf she goes "Ooh, shiny and she reaches to grab it everyone screams no and she does and it's a trap <laughs> beautiful and it collapses I mean, the entire hallway and it's just such a hilarious moment of like everyone's just walking past it going trap 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 Ooh. The, first, the first lines are between the fighter and the cleric and the fighter says to the cleric well i have to go out into the world that's the only way i get experience yeah. There you go. Starting a long tradition of anime being incredibly blunt and not at all subtle about its source material. Yeah. Uh, well, at the time, Lotus War would have been, like, wizardry would have been a novelty to folks. Because I know wizardry right. is huge in computer. But that, that problem is, like, I can't argue that's tabletop inspired because they might have, they hold up the video game wizardry in the interviews. So, uh, um, they were, but but it very. If you're talking about something that inspired you, Lotus War clearly has the same spirit. Where yeah. you know, um, uh, it has some interesting ideas because it's generic fantasy. But yeah, watching Lotus War would make me want to go play D because uh, uh, like the characters do in Lotus War what they would do uh, in that. And if you're looking for something that would inspire you, then we're getting away because regular Lotus War Slayers, which is a series that is criminally overlooked. Uh, you can tell it's a big influence on us with Iron Claw. Slayers is an awesome anime series that I have. Also very RPG-inspired. Uh, and I'm sure there's other um, anime that are, are, like, technically... I was waiting for someone to say Tower of Draga. But Tower of Draga is inspired by uh, a really weird computer game. So, um... Right. Uh, I mean, I guess the last thing to say is the Tower of Draga anime has monsters from D&D in it. But it has monsters from D&D in it because the people who made the Tower of Draga games got copies of the D&D books and flipped through them and found monsters that were interesting and copied them and put them in their game because copyrights, what are those? Um, <laughs> Japan, right? Right, which has led to the weird thing that, that the Roper, which is a high-level monster in D&D, you guys know the Roper, right? Oh, yeah, I like a Roper. Yeah. Right, it's a giant monster, paralyzes you with tentacles and kills you. It's mid to high level because of Roper and Store Roper and the levels. But in Draga, it was one of the first monsters you met. So Ropers, for some reason, in the Tower of Draga anime are an entire race of sentient blob tentacle creatures uh, that are all, like, sweet and innocent and easy to kill. <laughs> um, I guess I should have my last note. Was anybody here a um, uh, Sword Art Online fan? No. I, okay. I watched the season and season and a half, I think. Okay, I think they're remaking it, which is kind of a bummer. Because what's funny is, mm-hmm. so Sword Art Online was made in about 2000, or the original light novels made in 2000, and the anime starts coming yeah. out in 2003. So what makes this hilarious is, 
in in second edition D&D, in 1999 second edition D&D, kobolds are small, dog-faced, and blue. But then D&D third edition comes out, and kobolds are now dragon people. Dragon people and red. The superior kobold. What what always cracks me up is, because Sword Art Online came out about that mid-transition period, the kobolds in that are dragon people with dog faces. Huh. Okay. It is a funny mixture, that's for sure. Yeah, they've they've got dragon like bodies and dragon tails, but they have dog heads and dog noses. It's hilarious. Of course, there's MMO gigantism too. The boss is like two stories tall as a yeah. Well, they're also giants because hey, you know why? Everyone's got to see him in the room. That's why. But but it's hilarious to me that like that moment in time. If you're one, if anyone watching that, going, why do kobolds have dog faces? Because they had dog faces in D and D. And people say they didn't have dog faces in D and D. I said, I'm very old. Try to read an edition before 2000. Did they have? They did have dragon tails though back in the day. They did have tails. Uh, Even that they are uh, the Errol Otis one especially is a weird scaly monster. So they do have yeah. kind of like long lizard like tails. Oh, but they have dog horns. Horns. Very, yeah, yeah, very little horns like. Tiny they're horns. not they're not described as being dragon like in any no. way. Any no. third edition that turned them into the weird dragon worshippers they are now and has started a whole trend because they're yeah. better. So, um, you know, yeah, a whole so, episode on like the mythology of D&D monsters here and how they all start from like a lot of them, like kobolds, goblins and others start from like basic house spirits and just expand. That's an episode right there. Oh, you'll transition. We could do forgotten D&D monsters. Bring back cavemen. Cavemen used to be a monster in D&D. I demand a return to cavemen. <laughs> Or we could just take a random group of Chinese-made toys, put them on like, well, these are weird enough. Let's make monsters out of them. What are you about second edition AD&D books here? Yeah, <laughs> bring back all forgotten D&D monsters. Cavemen, uh, brownies. Brownie, are brownies gone? Did they bring brownies back? I think, I think they fall they on be the there somewhere. somewhere yeah. They have leprechauns in modern D&D? No. no not in a monster. They no. took what? those out. They're one of the no first- pots of gold for you. Also, no cheap, it, no wolf and cheap closing, I think. Or was it cheap? Bring back leprechauns. Bring back cave. I want to fight a caveman. <laughs> Every time I go to an OSR game, I always say, I want to fight a caveman. <laughs> oh, well, um, all right. I think, I think if we're arguing with fighting teeth, I think we're. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we may have gone through all the movies we want to here. Yeah. I, I thought of another one, but oh. it's not good. Oh. Well, one more but, title? Uh, What's one more title? One more title since we were talking about anime, and I don't want anyone to uh, confuse this as a recommendation because I don't recommend you watch it, but Goblin Slayer was something I saw more recently that is very much, I would say it's interesting because it is very much playing with the idea of metagaming and and min-maxing within the context of a fantasy world. So all the characters are fantasy characters, except for this main character who is very clearly a min-maxer and is breaking oh, the laws of physics. Yeah, but there's a... <laughs> then we're getting... There's a whole bunch of modern anime that's a lot like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where one guy is a min-maxer. And also, they're, obvi- they're way more computer... Really, I wanted to focus on stuff that was more closer to the tabletop. Like a well, lot so of those will happen. That's why I mentioned this one because it is clearly tabletop. In the in the credits, they show like dice rolling. They talk about like the you know character sheets of fate and stuff. It's clearly drawing inspiration from tabletop and tabletop mm-hmm. fantasy. It's also a bit Ooh. rapey and gross. So I don't recommend well, people go out and see it. That's but... the problem. A lot of these are really yeah. A lot of these are really gross. So 
I mean, I, I had reservations recommending Zero Charisma because it's got intense scenes of uh, family uh, um, strife. But yeah, no, let's let's let us walk away from that. And re- um, Record of Lotus War and Slayers, much much better, and, and will inspire will check them out. Yeah, uh, and, and will inspire your D and D campaign, especially because Slayer has the great line: hey, "You just wait until I come back to life." <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> yeah. All right, then. So I think that's going to be it for the movie episode today. That's been another episode of Notes from the A-Love. Uh, we stream episodes bi-weekly Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern. You can join us live on Twitch at Twitch on twitch.tv slash practice. We also stream and record weekly tabletop games on the same channel. You can join us uh, when we start at 10 a.m., 2 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sundays and Wednesdays. Norman Rafferty here is a partner and writer for Sanguine Games. Check out sanguinegames.com and join us on the Reddit and Twitter. And look forward to the Book of Corals, uh, upcoming Iron Claw expansion book where you can engage your own pirate adventure. Don't forget to check out Red Rapid and book him for a game over on startplayinggames.com. Uh, as Oracular Pig and Lessons, why don't you give us a shout out to yourself real quick? Yes, you can find uh, my book, Nights and Stars, over at Amazon.com for uh, 99 cents. It's uh, speculative fiction, that's sci fi and a bit of fantasy, uh, short story collection, flash fiction collection. I'm also running a game here every Sundays on, at 6 o'clock Eastern mm-hmm. called Into the Wild Coast, 5th edition Greyhawk, for those who don't think it's a lesser setting. And uh, also, I uh, and dipping uh, my dipping my, my toes on being a streamer over at Listen One One uh, channel on Twitch, and of course as a YouTuber where I do script doctors, which I basically tear apart the scripts from video games, the narratives, and decide that I can know I am a writer, therefore I know better, and will actually make vast improvements into them. Naturally, so thank you for inviting. All right. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Tell us what your uh, favorite tabletop movie is, and come see us all again. Until next time, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.